This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is a WTOP original podcast. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. President Biden's visit to Ukraine. Even though they're at war with Russia, Ukrainians are on top of the world. This surprise visit, it means uh, really a lot because it's not just a visit. It's the first visit of the president of the United States of America to Ukraine in the last 15 years, and it couldn't have come at a more appropriate time. Yuri Sack, an advisor to Ukraine's Minister of Defense, said this was about more than symbolism. And it was very important to demonstrate, you know, first of all, to our enemy that the plan, the hope of the Russians, that Ukraine will be left alone in this war, uh, the hope of the Russians that the West will not be committed uh, did not come through. A look at the war in Ukraine one year later, coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Our podcast has several sections tonight. One is a conversation we had with Yuri Sack, an advisor to Ukraine's Minister of Defense, on February 20th. This was the day that President Biden made a surprise visit to Ukraine. Then we spoke to him yesterday, which was the 28th of February. As he was in Washington, he was talking with us about the second year of this war. First, we go to the conversation from February 20th. Yuri, the first question I'd like to ask you today, President Biden visited Kyiv today. How important was that? That was very important, JJ. Uh, this surprise visit, which, you know, deep inside, a lot of us were hoping that it would happen. Um, you know, we've had... Uh, media inquiries now for a month, like since pretty much the day when uh, President Biden's visit to Poland, to Europe overall was announced, everybody was trying to sort of guess, you know, will he or will he not? And there were like whole theories developed, you know, that it's unsafe. And uh, in the US, we were told that, you know, the president of the United States of America under constitution cannot stay, for example, on a train for you know, that many hours on end. So there were so many things happening uh, and so many, um, you know, curiosity. And look, it did happen. And, and it means uh, really a lot because it's not just a visit. It's the first visit of the president of the United States of America to Ukraine in the last 15 years. And it couldn't have come at a more appropriate time. Because as you know, four days from today, uh, we will be marking one year since the beginning of the large-scale invasion. And it was very important to demonstrate, 
you know, first of all, to our enemy, that the plan, the hope of the Russians that Ukraine will be left alone in this war, uh, the hope of the Russians that the West will not be committed uh, did not come through. And this visit today is a confirmation of, you know, the United States unwavering support for Ukraine, and we are very grateful for that. Yuri, aside from the symbolism of this visit, what was accomplished today? Uh, of course, uh, there, you know, there were talks, the open talks, the ones that take place behind the closed doors. We understand that, you know, a new military assistance package was announced, uh, which will be very, very important now that we are preparing for our counteroffensive. Uh, now, second of all, uh, it is our understanding that the presidents have discussed uh, the prospects of supplying to Ukraine long-range missiles, which are, again are something that we have been requesting for a long time now. And uh, when we get them, they will be a game changer in the same way that HIMARS systems have been. So, um, you know, overall, when President Zelensky was summing up the uh, result of today's visit, he said that the results of the, today's visit will be visible on the battlefield. And that's the most important thing. Speaking of the battlefield, there were some early reports that there were air raid sirens that sounded, I guess, while President Biden was there. Um, what came of those sirens? Were, were there any Russian attacks today, to your knowledge, at least on Kiev? I know I'm pretty sure they're continuing the battle down in the south and the east, but were there any attacks around Kiev today? Well, no, uh, we didn't detect any uh, missiles, uh, you know, over or near Kiev. Uh, but, you know, the way this air defense system works, every time uh, strategic bombers take off, for example, in Belarus, uh, our air defense forces uh, must warn the Ukrainians, you know, because by now we understand that if they're, if they're taking off in Belarus, that means that Kiev is a potential target. And we live in an atmosphere where it is not possible to ignore these possible threats. And our Air Force, as well as our general staff, warns Ukrainians on a daily basis that the risk of another missile strike is always very high. Plus, we understand that the one year uh, since the beginning of the large-scale invasion is soon, and it is very possible that Russians will try to attack Ukraine um, to sort of mark the anniversary. So, yeah, there were no attacks today over Kyiv, but um, the risk remains high. What is What has Ukraine achieved, generally speaking, in this one year? And I know there are a lot of things, so I don't, I don't want to ask you to kind of try to lay them all out. But just from a 30,000-foot level, what has Ukraine achieved in this one year? We became stronger and we made our enemy weaker. That's how I put it. Well, that is a very, very good way to put it because that's pretty much what you did. You exposed what many people thought was a massive behemoth of a military to be far from it. And Ukraine has continued to push forward through some very difficult situations all across the country. War crimes investigations are underway, and, you know, there's rebuilding going on and a lot of things. 
So um, the second year of this part of the conflict, um, what does Ukraine hope to achieve in the second year? Victory. We hope that this year will become the year of our victory. And we hope that this will be on this February 24th, that this will be the only ever anniversary of this unprovoked aggression against our country. And we are confident that this is possible. We hope our allies share this confidence with us. And we hope that our allies understand that victory is possible this year in case everything falls into place in terms of the provision of military support. And one other thing that I would like to say with regards to Mr. Biden's visit today to Kiev is what he has shown to the world that a bully must not be feared. Because this is essentially what Russia wants to achieve. Russia wants you to be afraid. Russia wants me to be afraid. Russia wants every president of every European country to be afraid. And Russia wants the president of the United States to be afraid. And President Biden today has sent a very strong message that a bully will not be feared. A bully will be defeated. As you look at um, the next steps for Ukraine in, in, in trying to affect that defeat, we know that fighter jets are still something that Ukraine is still working on getting. Has there been any progress to speak of in terms of your request and in terms of the responses from the Allies? Look, the main thing is that this discussion has already begun. And we are fully aware of the fact that it's not just about getting an actual aircraft. You know, when we talk about getting fighter jets, it's not just the aircraft. It's the capability. So it, everything that comes with the aircraft, the logistics, the maintenance, the uh, support, right? So for every one F-16 pilot, uh, there needs to be a crew of 25 to 30 people, like on, engineers on the ground, uh, which make it possible for that pilot to fly that fighter jet, that F-16. So we are aware of the fact that it is not doable overnight. But we hope that, you know, Things will begin to develop faster now. We hope that our pilots will begin training programs fast in different countries, including in the U.S. And uh, we hope that, you know, soon, in a couple of months' time, Ukrainian pilots will be able to get their hands on the fourth-generation fighter jets, and this will only be good for our joint victory. Okay. You have been very busy. Um traveling back and forth and in this place and that place, um, working the communications end of this. And I know that there's lots more of that for you coming, but is there any personal reflection you'd like to share with us um, that's taken place during the course of this year that you remember that stands out to you personally? What stands out to me is I think that, you know, tragic as this war has been for my country and for my people, it has made a lot of people worldwide better, more caring. It brought us closer. We've become a proper union of international states. You know, we've become, in a way, a family. And I hope I don't sound too, you know, idealistic. But at the same 
time, this feeling of belonging to the community of like-minded people who share the same values, this in itself is a very powerful weapon, and our enemy knows this. So because we are bound by our shared values, we are destined to win this war, and we are destined to live in a future that will be peaceful, stable, and prosperous. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Now, to our second conversation with Yuri Sack on February 28th. So what about the spring offensive we've heard about? Has it started already? Well, you know, uh, uh, it's like it's probably best to describe it as a crawl. I mean, if you're referring to the Russian offensive, so it's a crawling offensive which has not had uh, any success. And uh, the reason why it was unsuccessful uh, perhaps is because during the last 12 months, we have degraded the Russian army to such an extent that, you know, they just don't have the capability to mount a large-scale offensive. So, uh, of course, they're still desperate to achieve at least something. This is why they are concentrating all their forces, uh, for example, on Bakhmut, because they're hoping to gain full control of at least Donetsk region. But, you know, we are aware of their plans, and we will continue to do what we have to do. So, speaking of what you have to do, um, what about your offensive? We've heard something similar coming from the Ministry of Defense. Uh, I, I know you're not going to talk about specifics, etc., but uh, what's the situation as far as your plans? Yeah, well, you know, we're actually quite open about this. Uh, we've said it many times that we are preparing for our counteroffensive because, you know, we are not interested in letting this war drag out for too long. Uh, this is why we are now building up our capability. We are talking to our partners with the view to receiving things such as uh, longer-range missiles like Atacams. Uh, the tanks are already arriving in Ukraine, you know, the ones that are provided to us by the tank coalition. Um, so uh, as soon as uh, we build up sufficient amount of uh, military resources that we need, we will we'll go for it. Okay. So um, two years. This is the second, not two years, this is the second year of this war. It started. Um, give me your thoughts about what this meant, this, 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 this milestone, what it meant. Well, one thing I would like to stress is that we all hope in Ukraine, and I think that 
people in the Western countries as well. We hope that this was the first and last uh, grim anniversary of this war because uh, during the last 12 months we have all lived in a very, very unstable, fragile world, uh, a world which is, um, you know, every day uh, threatened by nuclear blackmail, by refugees, uh, exodus and stuff like that. So I don't think it's in anybody's interest to uh, celebrate a year from now another grim anniversary. And this is why it's important for everybody to step up our efforts. You know, we are on our side doing all we can. And our allies, I think they they, they are aware of the situation on the ground and, and they know what we need. And um, nobody wants this war to become a frozen war. So uh, let's just, you know, step up our efforts and keep going. So, um, speaking of what you need, you've been talking uh, recently about um, fighter jets, tanks, etc. What is the thing you need most? Um, it's very difficult to prioritize and say that we need some things more than we need others because, you know, on the one hand, we're still target of the drone attacks and there was one just two days ago and you know that out of uh, 14 uh, drones, uh, we've been able to shoot down 11, but that means that three still found their targets and uh, caused destruction. So air defenses continue to be a priority. Uh, having sufficient ammunition on the uh, front lines is a priority. Getting tanks is a priority. Um, of the things that we are still not getting, of course, these are long-range missiles, uh, like the Atacams, uh, for example, as well as fighter jets. And I'm very happy that there is now uh, really uh, like a, a very active discussion in the U.S. about providing Ukraine with F-16s because we know that it is possible uh, and we are confident that it will happen. It's just we hope that it will happen sooner rather than later because every day is, you know, uh, the life of people. Every day is destruction. So we need to stop this. There's one more conversation that needs to be a part of this episode. We spoke with National Security Council Strategic Communications Coordinator John Kirby about this war and where it stands and where it's going. Well, I Ultimately, victory has got to be up to President Zelensky. Uh, he's the commander-in-chief. He gets to determine um, uh, what and how success is measured. What we are trying to do is make sure that we are giving him all the tools, the weapons, the systems, the training that he needs to be successful on the battlefield so that if and when he is ready, to sit down and negotiate with Mr. Putin, he can do so from a position of strength. That's what we're focused on. So what is it at this time that you believe, the U.S. believes, Ukraine needs most from the U.S.? Right now, we're focused on what we call the four A's. Uh, as you look ahead towards the spring and the potential for fighting in open terrain, uh, combined arms warfare, and we're training battalions of Ukrainian soldiers on that right now outside the country, but they need the four A's. They need artillery. They need uh, air defense, they need armored capabilities, and they need ammunition. Um, and that's, if you look at the most recent set of, uh, of provisions that we have sent forward and informed Congress on and, and approved, uh, you'll see that uh, all those four things are represented in there. So the president said it's not time for modern F-16s to be provided to Ukraine. Why not? Right now, as I said, we're focused on the, on making sure that we're meeting their uh, their needs in the in the weeks and months ahead. Um, and F-16s, fighter aircraft, at least from the United States, you know, that's a that's a topic for another time. That's that's not a topic for right now. Right now, uh, we believe what they really need are, are those four A's that we're talking about. And and the Ukrainians are we're talking to them in real time. 
Uh, we understand their asks. Uh, the, the idea of F-16s is not a new one, uh, but we want to make sure that we're, what we're providing them is going to be most useful for the fight that they're in and the fight that they're likely to be here again in the weeks and months ahead. So this so-called spring offensive we keep hearing about, according to many, has already begun, and, and, and you, you have a significant military background, a retired admiral, uh, and you have a, a good understanding of what, what, what that kind of thing means. So what is the Biden team's view of, you know, this spring offensive? Has it begun or, or, or when will it begin or what do you know? And I don't think we've come to some sort of consensus that it has, quote unquote, begun. I mean, they, they never stopped fighting uh, over the course of the winter. And by the way, it's still winter, but they're, they're still fighting. And the, vis- and, and the fighting is pretty vicious around places like Bakhmut in the Donbass. A little less so uh, as you arc down towards the south and the southwest, but the but they never stop fighting. Um, it's difficult to look at what we are seeing now on the ground um, as an indication or evidence of some large-scale new spring offensive. Um, we do think that the Russians are planning for more uh, wider uh, and deeper offensive operations when the weather uh, starts to improve and um, and the roads get better. Russia's lost a lot, a lot of people, a lot of equipment, a lot of weapons, but they're still begging and looking for other weapons and uh, perhaps even people from other places to help them in this fight. Um, what is the what is the Biden team's how does the Biden team's view Russia's status at this point in fighting this war? Well, you heard the president talk about this when he was in uh, Warsaw. Uh, uh, Mr. Putin has already failed. He's already lost in so many ways. He certainly has failed to achieve any of his strategic objectives. Uh, he wanted to subsume Ukraine into Russia. He wanted to to uh, completely uh, uh, bring down the Zelensky administration. He wanted to capture the capital of Kiev. He wanted to capture Kharkiv, which is a major industrial city. He wanted to take Odessa uh, by taking Kherson. Um, uh, and he wanted to, you know, continue to make strikes deep inside uh, Ukraine. Um, While he continues to be able to conduct airstrikes deep into Ukraine, which he continues now to target civilian infrastructure, he's achieved none of those larger goals. Uh, Ukraine is still uh, uh, free. It is still, uh, you know, led by the Zelensky administration, a democratically elected president. Uh, Kiev is still their capital. Now, that doesn't mean that every inch of Ukraine has been restored to her. It, it, it hasn't. I mean, there are still uh, areas where Russian uh, troops continue to occupy and continue to fight over, particularly in that Donbass region. Uh, but, but Ukraine's existence as a nation, which is exactly what Mr. Putin wants to, wants to take from them, their right to be, their right to their independence, um, uh, they, they, they still preserve that. They still have that. Um, and that's really what's at stake here. Uh, you, you talked about in your first question, you know, victory and what that looked like. What we want for Ukraine is the same thing that the Ukrainians want. They, uh, a whole, sovereign, peaceful, prosperous nation with borders that are back to the internationally recognized borders. I mean, that's what, that's what this is about. Now, how and when they achieve that is going to be up to Ukraine, as I said. But we want to see all their territorial integrity respected. The war in Ukraine, it's into its second year. And it's not clear how long it will go on. John Kirby, National Security Council Strategic Communications Coordinator. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode. 
China's spy balloon. We've got a lot of questions about that situation. Number one, what were they after? And why was it so difficult to detect in the beginning? Uh, sometimes these balloons are made out of materials that, um, that don't show up well in radar. Sometimes they just appear as an anomaly. Nicholas Eftimiades is a retired U.S. intelligence analyst whose specialty was Chinese espionage. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. This is a Target USA moment, episode 40. For Grace Joe's family, 1998 was the last straw. My grandmother, my bro younger brothers, um, they all passed away because of starvation. For six-year-old Grace and her younger brother, the food situation was extremely dire. My younger brother and I was were almost like uh, 10 days starved straight. Uh, we only drank uh, cold water and uh, there's no meal we can find. The public farms, uh, we cannot find any small potatoes from the farm because other people, they already like found them and um the winter time we can find like wood to burn and keep house warm we don't have any food we don't have any money and there's no way we can make money either they had to find a way out of north korea we uh walked a lot and uh, we crossed the river by swimming and uh, we also climbed the mountain. This has been a Target USA moment, episode 40. Download it, relive it. I'm JJ Green, and this is Target USA, the national security podcast.